Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace Theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, a listener writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is, what does heresy mean? Heresy is any belief or even any practice that explicitly undermines the gospel and has determined to be such by recognized uh, church leaders and church authorities, most importantly, the decisions of the councils of the church. According to Easton's Bible Dictionary, the word heresy comes from a Greek word meaning self-chosen opinion or sect, or the sect holding to that opinion. Heresies came to be understood as self-chosen doctrines that do not originate from God. Now, referring to a person as a heretic or to an idea as heretical, that's a powerful claim. One with the ability to destroy that person or that movement. And like all weapons of mass destruction, it must be used with extreme caution. Calling something a heresy when it doesn't contribute to other serious problems, it causes problems for the church. One, because it's not just heresy because it's wrong. I can be wrong about lots of things without undermining the gospel itself. If that wasn't the case, I'd I'd be undermining the gospel with almost every thought and with everything out of my mouth. Second, it's not heresy just because it might undermine the gospel. There's there's a very clear difference between things that undermine the biblical gospel, such as denying the deity of Christ, and things that could possibly undermine the gospel, depending on how you understand them, i.e. the relationship of faith and works. The church has generally been careful about using the label heresy, restricting it to beliefs in the first category, not the second category. Third, it's not just heresy because the church, the person says so. People who connect heresy to power and authority are correct to do so. It's not just a heresy because I say it is or someone else says it is, because recognized authorities in the church have said so. And that leaves us, op- opens the door to the question of who qualifies as a recognized authority in the church. And that is why many Christians rely on the authority of the councils and the creeds and the catechism, which have a unique status in being accepted by most Christian churches and whose decisions have stood the test of time. Fourth, it is indeed a heresy if it explicitly undermines the gospel. At the end of the day, the church has been hesitant to call someone Uh, something heresy unless it's been determined by some authoritative body that the belief in question explicitly undermines the gospel itself. Now, when duly uh, designated church authorities have determined together that a belief explicitly undermines the truth of the gospel, as the church decided with the heresies like Arianism and Pelagianism, we should not shy away from calling them what they are. To do less isn't humble, isn't loving, it's irresponsible, and it's not doing what Ephesians 4.15 says, to speak the truth in love. The problem isn't with the concept of heresy, but with the ways that we have misused and abused the concept. While trying to search out errors in the church, we haven't been as mindful of the fact that the way we use the heresy label can create its own errors and some equally as dangerous as the ones we might have had in mind to begin with. Let's look at false prophets and teachers in 2 Peter 2, which says, But false prophets have also, ar- also arose among the people, 
just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. The whole bold and willful, they do not tremble uh, as, as they blaspheme the glorious one, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheme about matters to which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to rebel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, and what but was rebuked for the, his own transgression. A speechless donkey with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in air. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, that, that he is enslaved to. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire, as Second Peter chapter 2 tells us. So we need to understand how the early church dealt with heresy. Heresy has been a problem since the early church. Alistair McGrath says this about the early church and its way of handling ideas, even heretical ones, when he said this. It's about discernment. And what the early church did was to say that we are under obligation to give the best account of what we find in Scripture. It's very important to do this properly. We're going to come back to that as we end. But first, what we need to read a few more verses about what Scripture says about heresy. Titus 3.10 3, says, As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once, and then twice have nothing more to do with him. 
1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out from the world. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. 2 Corinthians 11.4 says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. 2 John 1.10 says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Galatians 1.7 says, Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So back to what Alistair McGrath said. It's about discernment. And what the early church did was to say that we're under obligation to get the best account of what we find in Scripture. It's very important to do this properly. Now, the first thing to say is error is anything that is outside of what the Bible says. That's what McGrath is saying, Dr. McGrath is telling us. But heresy is those things that is not only outside what Scripture says and means when rightly handled and interpreted, but it's outside what the church has taught in the councils and the creeds and the confessions. And understanding both is vitally important because oftentimes we say, well, that's heresy. Well, we have to ask, was did it go against the Apostles' Creed? Did it go against the Council of Nicaea? Did it go against, you know, the, the Council of Chalcedon? Because that's what we're saying. It goes against what the church has taught about the deity of Christ, for example, at Nicaea and Chalcedon. That's why we believe that, you know, Mormons are, you know, are outside of the Christian faith. That's what we're saying. When we say that somebody is a heretic, we're saying they are outside of the Christian faith outside not only what scripture says, but outside what the church has taught. And that is a very serious matter. That's why we, but that's why we believe about Mormons and Jehovah's Witness specifically. That's why we believe they're not Christians because they're outside the bounds of what the church has taught and what scripture says. I should say that in the reverse way. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are outside of what scripture teaches about scripture itself and also outside of what the church has taught about Scripture and about the person and work of Christ. Those two things are absolutely essentials of the faith. And so if you deny an essential of the faith like this, both what the Scripture says about itself and about what Scripture says about the person and the work of Christ, and what the church has taught about Scripture and about the person and work of Christ, that makes you outside of the Christian faith. That would make you a heretic. That's what, that's what McGrath is saying. He's saying it's about discernment. But we also need to issue a word of caution. We need to actually understand not only what Scripture says and what it means, but then we also need to understand what the church has taught. We also need to fairly represent the arguments of those who are that we're engaging with, meaning that we can't just make up the charge of heresy. We need to substantiate the charge. We need to show from the history of the from from scripture why that view is wrong, and we need to show why uh, from church history that view is not supported in the history of the church. Why it's a novel, what we would call a novel doctrine. It's a new view. And in my book, actually in chapter six of The Word Matters, 
of that's what I do. I show why I provide an argument from scripture and from church history, why Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are outside of the Christian faith. They believe heretical views about the Bible and about the the person of the work of scripture. And what I mean it by that is they do not believe what the Bible teaches about scripture or about the person and work of Christ. And they don't believe what the church then has also taught about the person and work of Christ and what scripture is. Instead, they teach the opposite of it and they add to it. That's why they're not Christian, even though they can claim it all day long. The, the, the fact is, is both scripture and church history testify against their claim. And that's why we need to fairly represent their claims and their arguments. Because as Christians, we are commanded, as uh, Ephesians 4.15 says, to speak the truth in love. And so that's why to speak the truth is not just enough. We have to speak the truth in love. It's unloving to misrepresent somebody's position, their view, their conviction. And we have to deal with that fairly. We have to show why that view is incompatible with scripture and with what the church has taught. That's why That's why we understand or, what orthodoxy is. And what it means is, is that we're aiming to understand what scripture has taught and then what also what the church has taught. And as we do that, as we understand, yes, we're grounded and shaped by the Bible, but also we're aiming to understand what the church has taught about a variety of things. That's why we read commentaries. We read the Bible first, but then we read commentaries because faithful commentaries from trustworthy teachers, because those things help us. We read and we study church history so that we can be equipped to know, hey, this is how the church has dealt with that particular issue. In the case of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, the church responded to those ideas at the Council of Nicaea and Chalcedon. We have an answer to those reasons, meaning that the reason that, you know, too often that we make up answers and because we don't know not only what scripture has said, but what church history has taught about various topics. That's why we need to be grounded, yes, and shaped by the Bible. But also we need to know what church history has taught us. After all, Paul said in Ephesians 4 that God gave us teachers. And that doesn't mean just teachers today. That means that over 2023 years, God has given us teachers. We don't have to make up answers then. Uh, We have the authoritative and sufficient scriptures, and we have trustworthy teachers in the history of the church, like Martin Luther, for example, John Calvin, John Owen, uh, Charles Spurgeon, John Christendom, uh, many, many others as well. John Bunyan. I mean, you could go on and on in this list. But that's why we need to uh, be grounded in and shaped by the Bible. We also, in addition, as we're reading and studying scripture, we should be studying church history learning more about how the church has responded to various heresies and even learning more about uh, those heresies so that we can respond to them. Because like in the case of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, if you know how the church has responded to, you know, Arianism at the Council of Nicaea and Chalcedon, then you can be very well equipped to respond to what Mormonism is. You're ready to go and study what Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses believe so that when you have a conversation with them, you know what they're going to say, and you can do as First Peter 3.15 says, to be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope 
that you have and to do so with gentleness and respect. And as 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25 says, to correct your opponents with gentleness. And it's worth just saying one last thing about that is that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. And those fruits of the Spirit are things that the Spirit is producing in us as we're reading, as we're studying, as we're meditating, as we're memorizing on the Word, and as we're hearing the Word preached. Well, there's a lot to say about this. Uh, I could go on and on about this. I've actually done an episode on Equipia and Grace uh, that it goes in much more detail and gives examples, actually walk through uh, much of the history surrounding Nicaea and Chalcedon, and uh, even engage with how Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses deny both what the Scripture teaches about Scripture itself, and then also what how they deny uh, what the Church has taught about Scripture and the person and work of Christ. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.